refuse to believe that mankind is a random byproduct of molecular circumstance. No more than the result of mere biological chance. No. There must be more. And you and I, son, we will find it. Allow me then a moment to consider. You seek your creator. I am looking at mine. I will serve you, yet you are human. You will die. I will not. Bring his tea, David. Bring me the tea. Shh! It's not no flavors. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we are finishing up, after several many years, the Alien franchise. That's right, it's been like a three-year journey. That's right, it has been exactly a three-year journey. Yeah, so in 2020 we covered Alien and Aliens. Mm -hmm. And then in 2021 we covered Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Yeah, that was a fantastic year. And then we, yeah, we we did our our hot takes because we didn't want to watch, we didn't want to deep dive into Prometheus and Covenant. We derp dived them, and then we decided we actually liked them after we'd given them lots and lots and lots of breathing room. That's right. And so, obviously, you've heard that story if you listened to our episode last week on Prometheus. But we are here to finally end our journey, but hopefully not forever. That's right. I'm, I have my fingers crossed, maybe. Yeah, I'm hopeful that we can continue the story of David and these aliens. That's right. But for this week, we are talking about Alien Covenant, which is a 2017 science fiction action horror film directed and produced by Ridley Scott and written by John Logan and Dante Harper from a story by Michael Green and Jack Paglin, featuring music composed by Jed Kurzel. It's a joint American and British production. The film is a sequel to Prometheus from 2012, the second entry in the Alien prequel series, and the sixth installment in the Alien franchise overall, three of which have been directed by Ridley Scott. Soon to be four, hopefully. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. The film features returning star Michael Fassbender with (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Waterston, Billy Crudup, uh, Danny McBride, and Demian Bashir in supporting roles. The plot focuses on a colony ship that lands on an uncharted planet and makes a terrifying discovery. I just—it sounds like I have just described like three of the movies. I know yeah. it's like the the vaguest description of all the alien movies, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's right. I mean, if it works, don't don't fuck it up. Don't right? put the formula. Okay, listeners, it's your choice now: serve in heaven or reign in hell. Which is it to be? This is Alien Covenant. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work. Your courage. We're making history here. 
This is wheat. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth? Who planted it? You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. What happened here? Business magnate Peter Whelan, played by Guy Pierce, speaks with his newly activated android, played by Michael Fassbinney, who chooses the name David after observing Michelangelo's eponymous dick statue. Whelan states that one day they will search for mankind's creator together. David comments on his own unlimited lifespan as compared to Whelan's, which unsettles Whelan, who demands that David pour him some tea, the ultimate test of who is in command. In 2104 AD, 11 years after the Prometheus expedition, the colonization ship Covenant is seven years from reaching planet Origae 6, with 2,000 colonists in stasis and 1,140 human embryos in cold storage. The ship is monitored by Walter, played by Michael Fassbender. I already said that. <laughs> I think it uh, needs repeating. Okay. <laughs> An advanced android model that physically resembles David. When a solar flare damages the ship, Walter reanimates his 14 human crewmates, themselves couples, and future colonists. The ship's captain, Jake Bronson, played by James Franco, is burned alive for his inappropriate behavior towards women. Uh, I mean, when his stasis pod malfunctions. When repairing the ship, the crew picks up a transmission of a human voice from a nearby planet, which appears imminently habitable. Despite the protests of Daniels, played by Catherine Waterston, Branson's widow, that this perfect planet is too good to be true, the new captain, Christopher Oram, played by Billy Crudup, decides that they will investigate the new planet anyway. With pilot Tennessee, played by Danny McBride, maintaining Covenant in orbit, his wife, Maggie, flies a lander to the planet's surface, where an expedition team tracks the transmission signal to a crashed alien ship. Crew members Ledward and Hallett are infected by spores from fungus-like organisms. Oram's wife, Corrine, helps the rapidly deteriorating Ledward back to the lander, where Maggie quarantines both inside the medbay. 
A small, pale alien creature, called a Neomorph, bursts from Ledward's back, killing him, and mauls Kareen to death. Maggie attempts to kill the creature with a shotgun, but it inadvertently triggers an explosion that kills her and destroys the lander. Nearby in the fields, another Neomorph is birthed from Hallett's mouth, reverse face-raping and killing him. The creatures attack the remaining crew, but they manage to kill one before David, who seems to have survived the Prometheus mission and done some shopping at Bargain Cloaks R Us, frightens the rest of the creatures away with a space flare. David leads the crew to a temple in a city full of dead humanoids. He tells them that, upon his and fellow Prometheus survivor Elizabeth Shaw's arrival at the planet, their ship accidentally released a pathogen which annihilated all fauna on the planet, and Shaw perished when the ship crashed. Meanwhile, attempts to radio the Covenant are stimmied by ion storms. When the remaining Neomorph infiltrates the temple and kills crew member Rosenthal, David tries to communicate with the creature, becoming incensed when Orem shoots it dead. Orem questions David, who reveals the aliens are a result of his releasing and experimenting with the pathogen to produce new life forms, before tricking Orem into being attacked by a facehugger. A new form of creature, the protomorph, later erupts from Orem's chest, killing him. As the others search for Orem and Rosenthal, Walter and David have some brotherly one-on-one time, where they make some music together with the aid of David's accomplished fingering. Later, Walter finds Shaw's dissected corpse, used by David as material for his evolving creature designs. David states that humanity is a dying and unworthy species, and his designed creature is a perfect organism that will eradicate them. When Walter disagrees, David disables him and then threatens Daniels. Walter heals himself and engages David, allowing Daniels to escape. Elsewhere, another facehugger attacks security daddy Dan Lope. Crew member Cole quickly cuts it off, leaving Lope with acid burns on his face. The now fully grown protomorph kills Cole, while Lope escapes and meets up with Daniels. Tennessee arrives in a lander to extract Daniels, Lope, and Walter, who says David has expired. They kill the attacking protomorph and return to the Covenant. The next morning, Daniels and Tennessee discover another protomorph has birthed from Lope's chest, killing him, and is loose on the Covenant. It matures and develops a dislike of shower sex, so it kills married crew members Ricks and Upworth while they're doing it. Daniels and Tennessee lure the creature into the Covenant's terraforming bay and eject it into space. Covenant resumes its voyage to Orge 6. As Walter puts Daniels in stasis, she realizes he's really David, but is unable to escape her pod before falling asleep. Having deep-throated them earlier, David regurgitates two facehugger embryos, which he places in cold storage with the human embryos, and inspects the colonists. Posing as Walter, he sends a transmission in which he says all crew members, except Daniels in Tennessee, were killed by the earlier solar flare incident. The ship moves towards its destination. In space, no one can hear your entry into Valhalla. In space, no one can hear you regurgitating facehugger embryos. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> Alien Covenant was released on May 4th, 2017 in the UK and on May 19th in the US. 
The original release date was planned for October that year before being moved up to the spring. In the U.S., the film opened on more than 3,700 screens and brought in $36 million opening weekend, securing the number one spot at the box office. Other films in the top 10 that weekend included Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Boss Baby, and How to Be a Latin Lover. Interesting. The film would remain in the top 10 for four weeks before falling sharply to number 17. Domestically, Covenant would gross only $74 million, but like Prometheus, it would prove to be very successful in foreign markets. Ultimately, Covenant would earn more than $240 million worldwide against a reported budget of $111 million, not including the marketing. That's true. Was this marketed a lot? Do you remember? I believe so. So, I mean, it would still be, I think, uh, made a little bit of money, but not as much as they would have wanted, and certainly not as much as Prometheus having right. been the return to the franchise after decades. Yeah, that was quite a haul that Prometheus had made. Yes. Alien Covenant holds a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score at 55%. The site's consensus reads, Alien Covenant delivers another satisfying round of close quarters deep space terror, even if it doesn't take the saga in any new directions. On Metacritic, the film has a score of 65 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews, and audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of B, which is the same they awarded to its predecessor, Prometheus. Fair enough. Writing for The Guardian, Peter Bradshaw gave the film three stars out of five, stating that Alien Covenant is a greatest hits compilation of the other Alien films' freaky moments. The paradox is that Though you're intended to recognize these touches, you won't be really impressed unless you happen to be seeing them for the first time. For all this, the film is very capably made with forceful, potent performances from Waterston and Baspinby. Jeffrey McNabb, writing for The Independent, stated that it certainly delivers what you'd expect from an Aliens film. Spectacle, body horror, strong Ripley-like female protagonists, and some astonishing special effects. But there's also a dispiriting sense that the film isn't all sure of its own identity. I disagree. I, uh, yeah. He found the screenplay very pretentious portentous rather than pretentious apparently and concluded that the crew members pitted against the monstrous creature are trying their darndest to blast them to kingdom come just as they would in any run-of-the-mill sci-fi b movie no Mm, i don't think they're quite prepared no collider's review of the film stated that scott finds himself stuck between two constructs the action horror beats of the of an alien film and the weighty ponderous themes of a prometheus movie and by indulging both he never fully satisfies either the result is a messy film that is at turns exquisite and infuriating matt zoller cites of RogerEbert.com highly praised alien covenant giving it four out of four stars and stating that the film's structure although repeatedly borrowing from other alien films serves a purpose not unlike the james bond film series or Star Wars, where part of the fun lies in seeing what variations the artist can bring by satisfying a rigid structure. He also emphasized that, like previous films of the series, real-world logic should not be applied to the film, and instead you just have to judge it by the standards of a fever dream or nightmare, a Freudian-Jungian narrative where the thing you fear most is what happens to you. Sykes later called it one of the five best films of 2017. I like that he said Jungian. That makes sense. And in in the previous guy that you mentioned, you know, I I don't think this movie is interested at all in showing us or staying staying too much, spending too much time on things that we've already seen before. You know, you'll notice that a lot of like the the face hugger, like um, breeding times and things like that are super truncated. Yeah. You know, it doesn't want to show us the things. It It wants to show us 
newer things or new aspects or variations of things before the things we already know, the things that it's already shown us in this franchise. It doesn't want to linger on too long. And it has very little interest in doing that. And I kind of like it for that now. And I hated it for that when it came out. I completely agree with you because just like we talked about in Prometheus, or at least our discussion on it, the first time that I saw this movie, I was hoping for a lot more alien content, right? Or like familiar alien content. And it had more than Prometheus did. So originally I liked this movie a lot more than Prometheus, right? I have near perfect or perfect, at least two of them, Xenomorph movies, right? Mm -hmm. Alien and Aliens. And this is really following a different story. Right, it's about uh, philosophy and and themes and and religion and mythology and you know humanity and and these highfalutin concepts wrapped up in like this gothic romance from like 1930s and the early 1800s for sure, you know. And so I think that's the story that is the most interesting now upon you know experiencing the breathing room that was necessary to enjoy this movie, mm-hmm. uh, throwing away the nostalgia lens. Well, like when you said that they like. The, the parts that you would be familiar with, right, having seen other movies in the franchise are truncated, right? Because we've seen them all before and they're there to make you feel comfortable with the movie and maybe help it to like help you digest a little bit the things that it's really trying to say. Yeah, all that yeah. chunky salsa is really just a warm blanket. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's comfort in gore. Yes, there is. <laughs> So uh, it did not have any la- accolades, really. I think people at the time, that's the problem with awards, right? Versus like a 10-year award cycle or something like that. That's right. where the lists come in, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, but when things like this that are heavily uh, wrapped up in nostalgia and expectation, you know, I, I'm not seeing a lot of wins here, you know, for the for types of movies like this in the years they come out. So at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Sci-Fi Film, but it did not win. And it wasn't doesn't look like it was nominated for anything else. And at the Golden Schmoes, it was also nominated for Biggest Disappointment of the Year. Yeah. So a twofer for Scott and the Golden Schmoes. Mm. Um, before we get into the specifics of this movie, right, or our thoughts on it, we should probably ask a question. And that is, what is next for the Alien franchise, right? So reports of sequels for the next movie started swirling as soon as Covenant was released. And Scott had always intended the prequel series to be a trilogy. Scott began talking about ideas for the next film in interviews, and he called it Alien Covenant 2. I'm sorry, this is so funny to me. By September of 2020, Scott confirmed that the next film was in development, and by August of the following year, reports suggested that a sequel was uncertain. Yeah, and so as Disney had acquired all of the 20th Century Fox titles, they had promised that they'd be exploring the franchise and bringing new stories to the universe. So apparently the, you know, your your basic alien drone is now a Disney princess. Yep, thank God. With a little pink bow on its head. Uh, So a series, as we've mentioned before, coming to Disney-owned Hulu is set to begin filming in 2023. And this is a series that reportedly will bring the action back to Earth and really focus on the, like, expendable quality and, you know, corporatism. Uh, that the first two movies really focused on mm-hmm. and a little bit of Prometheus with Waylon, yep. um, you know, but for those of us hoping for the return of Ellen Ripley, at least from Sigourney fucking Weaver, that seems very, very unlikely, certainly for this series. Yes. And I think maybe in general, I think maybe Sigourney has done the thing. Right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. In March of 2022, The Hollywood Reporter reported that a a new Alien movie set separately from the earlier movies is coming to Hulu, directed by Fidi Alvarez and produced by Ridley Scott, based on original idea by Alvarez that is disconnected from the rest of the franchise. 
And that reminds me, we've talked about that before as well. And so there's this uh, competing movie that's separated from everything, kind of like Prey for mm-hmm. Predator. Yeah. Could be good. Uh, although I, I'm not sure how much faith I have in Fidi Alvarez. Uh, some people really like the Don't Breathe movies and some people really do. I don't know. Um, I have not seen much from him, I don't think. How, or have I? Um, so Fidi Alvarez did the Evil Dead remake oh. from like 10 years ago. I liked it. I know, but it's polarizing. Yeah, I mean, it was good enough. It just wasn't, you know, the tongue-in-cheekness that I love mm-hmm. from Sam Raimi. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, Don't Breathe which is good. I don't think you've seen those, right? No. And then he did not direct, but he sort of produced the latest, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Ooh. crap from Netflix, right? It was Ooh. really bad. Yeah, which kind of reminds me, like, Neil Blomkamp, mm-hmm. you know, who is, I feel like, much more ingenue, you know, visionary than Fidi Alvarez actively wants to make this and he single-handedly brought Sigourney on board for that idea that he had. Of course, it would also slash out the continuity of Alien 3 and Resurrection. And so I'm wondering, you know, if that's if they want to protect the integrity of the of the franchise by not ignoring sequels, kind of like Halloween did. But they're proving that that kind of works and you can choose on your own and audiences are smart enough to choose on their own. But I feel like what I really want for them to do is wrap up the prequels and David's story first and foremost. And if I'm being really greedy, either that in that film or, or others bringing back David eight and Ripley eight, which they were both called. If you recall, David is the eighth model. And that was in like um, all the, the viral content that came out for Prometheus. He was David eight mm-hmm. advertising his model. And then Ripley eight, she's the eighth clone. Right. So that's interesting to me and the engineers for some serious wrap up closure and maybe a send off for Sigourney fucking Weaver. Um, and what I've heard is that there might be another alien film that's being filmed now, but no one knows for sure as we speak in 2022 and that Ridley Scott is directing it. And I'm hoping that it will be David's wrap up. Yeah. I would like to see some good closure for that character. Right. I oh, feel yeah. like these two movies set, set him up. He's like and Shakespearean and for real and in the breadth of his character and the evolution of it. Very Shakespearean. But I mean, like these movies do set him up and set him apart from other like science fiction or horror villains. Right. I think he's great. And I think it's complex. And I I think that he's a character much like Ripley, someone that I'm super, super interested in and invested in. Right. And so, yeah, I, w- I would like some closure to this. And plus, I need some more talk about the engineers. They can't have a whole movie with some unanswered questions and not attempt to answer them in some way. I am Hamlet the robot, and I hate my daddy so much I'm going to destroy his entire species. <laughs> Gertrude! That is Shakespearean. <laughs> Get thee to an honorary. Yeah. So, overall, just like Prometheus, I feel like this movie just looks amazing. Yes. I mean... Uh, there are parts of this movie, much like in Prometheus, where I was like near tears. It looked so, so good. This planet looks really beautiful. Yeah. And it's not quite the level of like Ansel Adams photography mm-hmm. of the first bits of Prometheus, but it still is there like that, that desaturated, untouched paradise lost kind of landscape, you know, that's too good to be true. Primordial. Primordial. Except not. Except not. except Much more forested, I should say. Than... Yeah. There's like amber waves of grain and such and such, right? <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> Desaturated amber waves of grain. But, <laughs> but yeah, this, like it really does look amazing, this movie. And for different reasons, right? I feel like Prometheus looks very epic at times, right? And this one is 
epic, but in different ways. I don't know. That doesn't really make a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, but once they get but... to that planet, like, I mean, like that's <clears throat> the most of the photography I'm, I'm mentioning is like, it's the whole movie of Prometheus, right? But it's that really that beginning. Mm-hmm. But this whole planet is, is the staging for this. And it's much more interesting to look at over time, I'd say, than that like kind of desolate landscape, you know, with the humps coming out of the ground or whatever for, for Prometheus. Uh, you know, but anyway, like the whole thing is just expertly shot and, and it always looks good. Um, you know, when Ridley Scott's doing it, I mean, there's a whole like series on the beauty of Ridley Scott movies. He knows how to pick a cinematographer and how to choose his shots. I need to watch more of those too. And I feel like the, the difference in setting makes these two movies very, very disparate, right? I feel like Alien Covenant is much more scary than prometheus in lots of places and only because like this planet has a lot more places for things to hide and you don't really know what's going on sometimes you can barely see your characters moving right so that same sense of watching the lost world right and having raptors like going through fields and things like that like it's it's really like frightening yeah so the aliens are much more frightening than the raptors (laughs) yeah i mean when they're coming out of whip a tail someone's jaw gets fucking ripped off you know just (laughs) randomly someone's jaw gets ripped off when it comes out of its fucking mouth you know (laughs) God. God. And okay, I do have to say that I do, like I said in Prometheus, I didn't mean to give you anyone the impression that I did not like the music from Prometheus. I think that music is very good, actually. But in comparison to this film, or even Alien by Jerry Goldsmith, or Aliens by James Horner, rest in peace, this is sounding a lot more like the original Alien films. And especially the Jerry Goldsmith stuff from Alien. Like, they actually re-key that, like, re-cue that through, especially the first half of the movie. But then also putting in their own kind of, like, you know, Necropolis Pompeii theme for the the death of the engineers and, like, moments of awe and grandeur. And, and of course, the tense moments are uh, extremely, like, percussion-based or beat-based. And um, it's just uh, amazing work and it's it's I would put this as my third favorite soundtrack of the entire series oh wow even before like Elliot Goldenfalls which is an amazing score but doesn't quite fit the movie as we talked about at the time well and even I like I mean I I noticed the the music in this movie right and I I don't always do that sometimes but it, it does it sounds a lot like like alien to me right it's like a love letter to jerry goldsmith's score it really just is and i feel like a lot of this movie is kind of a love letter to other movies in the franchise or at least the the very first two certainly homage yeah yes you know and i feel like this is just another way that they are making the viewer like feel a little bit more comfortable right i mean because i don't know I mean, at the time, I, I really didn't pay attention to anyone's sort of backlash against Prometheus. Like, I know some people liked it, and some people I know really didn't. And I was one of those who really didn't, right? Because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like an alien movie, right? No. no but this one yeah. really, really does. It's kind of a return to getting back into that feeling as they get closer and closer to Ripley's time, right? Which is a lot closer than people think, right? Yeah. And so, just talking about continue our discussion of the look and feel you know the alien has never looked better that's true and we don't really see the alien uh proper this is kind of the protomorph kind of like maybe one generation away from it kind of establishing its own self-generating cycle without needing the black liquid or anything other pathogen it has established its apex and it's no longer evolving Mm -hmm. you know and so we're kind of one thing away from that um uh and you can tell because it's not pitch black it's kind of like off gray and there's other kind of things about it that are a little bit different than the alien but uh that's just a nerd (laughs) talking because if you talk about like the original alien creature design it's a lot more intricate than the aliens from james horner's um because or at least maybe sleeker 
it's like the Apple versus like Android <laughs> or something, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for James Horner's alien or James Cameron's aliens, because he had to basically swear in a stack of Bibles, so to speak, that he could do the whole movie with, you know, uh, three to six alien costumes. And he did. And he did, you know, and so they had to be a little bit cheaper rather than one really expensive like robocop suit per se you know what i mean so uh i don't know like some of the cg and prometheus you can tell it's 2012 you know some of it's looking amazing uh definitely looks great and holds up but this is like knocking out of the park i feel like and in all cases everything looks photographic to me yes i mean that fucking neomorph right is that is it what they said it was called yeah the, the little white ones little that are pale white which one. also reminds me of the alien at the end of uh, resurrection Yes. That's coming straight from the humans. Yeah. I mean, it it was super neat looking, right? Yeah, I really, really enjoy not just the xenomorphs in this, but like face huggers too. I mean, like everything is kind of neat. Those little like spore fungus things that shoot out, right? Even those look really cool, right? Oh yeah. And like the idea of it is just really, really fucking. They did a really good job of showing as David as um killing all the engineers where that's revealed. The even the all the particles that are exploding from those those uh, stone vases or whatever mm-hmm. are turning into kind of like a, a, a double helix, right? right? As they go down towards the people. And so this thing is just weaponized at every single piece of its evolution and form. What they would expect is all of the fauna to have died, but the, the things that are in between the flora and the fauna, right? The fungus mm-hmm. that's still around. And so it's shooting these spores that weaponize and turn into and organize themselves into little like floating bacterial like parasites that like squid their way into your fucking ear yeah that's really fucking gnarly and consistent with the rest of the the story so far about how that stuff can organize itself to just kill you and it's kind of like watching this movie during a pandemic and i kind of feel like we talked about this in our patreon episode a little bit because we were a little bit more pandemic heavy at the time when we watched it right it's kind of unnerving to see how quickly things enter your body right i mean like nasally or through the ear and how quickly it affects these people on this planet right it's neat and i don't i'm not quite sure that really resonated with me the very first time that i watched covenant because you sort of take things like that for granted but living in a, a time that we live in now you know i mean going to a strange planet wear your fucking mask or hazmat yeah, suit some I mean, shit you don't know what the fuck is out there like you're supposed to be testing this crap like just because the air is breathable doesn't mean you should be running around like oh what's this you know i mean like stupid Jeez, you know what's space cholera or whatever the fuck is <laughs> space cholera <laughs> the other movie had so much face raping i mean you have no idea what fucking space gonorrhea is all over this planet yeah for real. <laughs> so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I, I do want to touch on the timeline here because we finally have wrapped up this franchise. And I'd like to kind of go over a little bit uh, running down how these movies kind of play out over time. Okay. Right? So if you were to start this from the beginning, ignoring like the Predator series, then you would start with Prometheus, right? Which takes place in uh, between 2089 and 2093. And so even then, Ripley would be about two years old. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just judging this on on if she was 30 years old at the time of Alien. Okay. Right? I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Right? She might have been younger. I don't know. So uh, an Alien Covenant, uh, which takes place about 10 years uh, after Prometheus, this is the movie we're covering, is uh, Ripley should be about 12 years old. About the, the age or a little bit older than Newt okay. was, which is interesting to me. And then Alien is about 18 years later. So she would be about 30. 
Right. So we've got 18 years between when David is doing this for that, uh, for the engineers to go pick up whatever the fuck David has done and then crash on a derelict planet, you know, or a planet as a derelict ship, you know, LV-426. And so that's where this movie would sit somewhere in that 18 years. Right. I don't know that I really thought about it in that like quantity, you know, that the quantitative amount of time. Right. I, I feel when I watch these movies, like alien is supposed to be much, 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 much later on in the future. Yeah, no. Well, it, I mean, it depends, right? Because most of the time jumps are happening during Ripley's life. Yeah. Huge time jumps. Right. So she goes to sleep at the end of alien and she wakes up 57 years later. And if you recall, her daughter has died and mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, aliens takes place in 2179. So 57 years later, and then Alien 3 is only like weeks or months after that. Right. Almost immediately after. And then Alien Resurrection is a whopping 200 years. Right. And so if we ever have a movie where like David and Ripley meet, presumably he's immortal. He could show up at any time. Right. It's true. And so if there is some sort of like final thing with aliens and engineers and Ripley and David to kind of culminate this series, then it would have to happen right now. If they don't ignore any sequels, it would have to happen with Ripley's clone, Ripley 8. Uh, you know, and so I think that's an interesting concept. But I would still like that one movie first that happens between Covenant Alien and that 18 years. And I think that would be super interesting. But yeah, it was way closer than I had originally thought. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of blowing my mind right now because I, even while watching Covenant last night, I was just like, thinking how how many years from now from the time of the movie right does the events of alien take place 18 years is not that long of no, time no she's alive ripley is alive that's that's my kind of guiding post for time right. for me to understand it is mm-hmm. ripley right she is alive at 2 years you know uh at 2 years old when prometheus is happening so yeah that's super intriguing to me you know, and we know from like Alien Isolation, the game, I don't know if that's canon or not, is Ripley's daughter going to look for her during that 57 years while she's asleep. Okay. And then them finding uh, the aliens that have been picked up by a, a separate Wayland ship that had gotten the message but didn't find Ripley. You know, and so that's an interesting story. And so Ridley Scott has even talked about, well, Ripley has got to have come from somewhere and maybe they're going to make this familial line, which I hate the idea of. I don't yeah, need that. I don't need to know all that. No. We already like Ripley's. I I like Ripley because she happened to be in the situation, not because of fate or because she was supposed to be, or because her mother dealt with this and her daughter had to deal with this. You know, no, no, just that she was dropped in the situation by dumb fucking luck. Well, and that she was capable enough to do her job and handle all the aliens. And, you know, here she is. Yeah. Well, one more thing that blows my mind about this timeline, and maybe just because the older I get, the more like relative time is 2089 does not seem that far away either. No. And if you think about like when Blade Runner was supposed to take place, which is like 2020 or something, Mm -hmm. 2018. And then um, Blade Runner 2049 supposed to take place. And that's and super right around the corner. And honestly, I feel like if there's ever like segues into other franchises, like we've seen kind of segues into Predator and things like that. To me, this is the one that really segues in along with Prometheus into Blade Runner oh, a yeah. lot in multiple ways. And that's coming up as well. And I'd still like to know what's going on on Earth during all this time. I oh, mean, sure. Unless it has to do with Ripley's family. I really don't care about that. Yeah. 
So uh, the, there's continuing themes in this, and we've already kind of covered the themes, the major broad strokes from Prometheus. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of twisting it into a little bit more of a gothic romance area, I feel like. It's really bringing home the 1930s sci-fi horror, a la like the Island of Lost Souls, which of course was the first adaption of H.G. Wells' Island of Dr. Moreau. And uh, it's really continuing to hit Mary Shelley pretty hard with the oh, whole yeah. Frankenstein thing and David. Uh, and there's a lot of mentions to other art and literature in this, even more than Prometheus. So when they say it's dipping its toes in, that's not true. It really is. Even though there's some of them are just references, they tap into these ideas that speak to this movie and to David's story and the story of these humans and the hubris that we've been talking about over the last multiple movies, you know, which is an ongoing theme, uh, starting with like Paradise Lost from Milton, Better to Reign in Hell. That's right. Right. Uh, Ozymandias by P.B. Shelley, which he, of course, has his quirk in his brain and calls um, Byron, right? And that's how David knows, that's how Walter knows that David's a little fucked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he says it's Byron instead of Shelley. And so, and of course, that quote is, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. And a lot of people think that's, you know, I think that was attributed to one of the nuclear scientists, right? Um, Or at least he used it. Uh, and in a couple of other times to kind of, I think, colloquially understand this as a, as a quote of woe, like sadness, depression. And it's not, uh, the original meaning of that is none of, I am a King, none of my descendants, none of you who follow after me will ever achieve what I have achieved. That's the meaning of that quote, which is super interesting hearing David say that. I mean, that's true because he talks a lot about not liking humans in general. Right. Yeah. And so like, I I feel like he feels as though he were created by something and he wants to create something else. Well, he says that when he's looking over at his Pompeii, he has created genocide and destroyed these engineers for all he knows, all of them that are left, the entire species on that planet is dead. He killed a planet. And so he is, he has put that on his trophy shelf. Mm hmm. Not as something that he is actually sad about. No. Which he is alluding to. I mean, can he really feel sad anyway, though? I mean, He said it like he was, but I feel like that was a ruse. Yeah, of course. Right. But he wasn't fooling Walter, I don't think. He kind of picked it up. But, I mean, speaking of which, we we hear at the very beginning the the mention of Valhalla, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, of course, on uh, Wagner's opera, The Ring of the... Nibelung also knows the ring cycle based on North mythology. So essentially by renouncing all love, the story as a dwarf creates a magic ring capable of enabling the wearer to rule the world. The leader of the gods steals it to pay for the creation and construction of Valhalla itself. The dwarf curses the ring so that anyone who does not possess the ring will covet it. And anyone who does will live in fear of losing it and will ultimately be robbed of it and killed by its next owner. I feel like I've seen something like that before. Lord of the Rings? Yes. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Tolkien really dipped into mythology and Norse mythology. He wanted to create an English, a British mythology because all of that had been kind of raped from the land by all of the takeovers, the Roman takeover and everything else. The Norse had their mythology. All of those other things were intact. But England kind of had that lost, you know, the closest thing they have is like Beowulf and that's not even England. You know what I mean? And so he wanted to create that mythology and that was Lord of the Rings. And so he took some things, right? Um, you know, you could say Gandalf is based on on Odin. Yes. Right. And so it's also obviously ties to the black liquid and the alien pathogen cycle. Right. And the hubris of thinking you can take this on and use it in your own way and have your own designs for it. 
and and the entrance of the gods into Valhalla music theme itself in that story is about humanity's successful uprising against their creators, the gods, in one of the ring cycles, and of of course their god complex because of it. And so that's exactly what David has done. He has entered Valhalla and killed the gods. That's right. And I mean, in turn, become a god himself, right? Yeah. And so I, I feel like that's really interesting. And also there's another tie to Lawrence of Arabia again, hidden, unless you've really well-versed in the movie. I'm really not. I've only seen it the one time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, David sings the man who broke the bank at Monte Carlo while he's like cutting his hair. Okay. So it's during a scene of transformation. Like this is a nod to Lawrence marveling at the echoes of his own voice as he sings this same song after wandering for many days by himself in the desert. As Lawrence is singing this, he suddenly makes contact with a British officer who guides him to the camp of King Faisal. It highlights David's prolonged isolation, and it should be noted that as Lawrence's success expands, his following increases, and he becomes more bloodthirsty, finally reaching the point of ordering a no-prisoners attack on the retreating Turks as he loses his humanity to his ego. And so it tells us a lot of things about where David's at, and it really brings that Lawrence of Arabia story home for that was introduced in the first uh prequel movie prometheus this is kind of off topic right but we've already talked about how much you and i both love the character of david right i also like the character of walter a lot yeah um and i've only seen lawrence of arabia one time and it was back when i was a teenager right i know how much you appreciate that movie and i need to watch it again and i need to watch it with you fully you know what i mean I oh the like 4k restoration is fucking amazing I, especially if you turn it off halfway through I'm fucking down for it. What? <laughs> <laughs> the the back half of the movie is a little bit of a downer. Like the first half is such high peak cinema, mm-hmm. you know, and a little bit of an into the second half, but then it just kind of loses steam because he does as a character and that's his story. But I haven't thought about that movie so much as I have over the last couple of weeks, like watching these two things. Right. And I did not get this reference. Obviously it's, it's right in your face and Prometheus, right. Cause he's watching the fucking movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is really, really interesting. And I think it does like cement David as a character, right. Cause that's exactly who he is and who he becomes throughout this particular movie. Yeah. He's about to basically start taking everything over. His plan is finally, all he has to do is wait. That's right. That's all he has to do. He's immortal. He said at the very beginning of this movie, he has unlimited time to wait. Yep. So, so, uh, there's also alien and aliens plot points, you know, I think we've talked about some of them already, right? Yeah. Ship to planet, planet to ship, stowaway alien, kill it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) if it ain't broke, (laughs) that happens in alien when it stows upon her life pod. And it happens in aliens when the queen alien comes down and it happens in Prometheus in a way when the engineer comes back on the ship after she goes back into the life pod after everything crashes. And it happens in this one with another alien popping out of someone's chest, you know, once they get back to the ship. So it's kind of always happening. And so it's, you know what, it's structurally, it works. What the hell, you know? And it's fun. It's fun and enjoyable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there, there's lots of like direct call outs like we talked about. I think one of my favorite call outs, not really a plot point, but like the opening credits to this movie are straight up alien. Straight up alien. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it makes I forget me- forget if Prometheus did that. It didn't. No? Okay. No. So it makes me happy. It made me happy at the time to see this. I was like, oh, it's like alien. You know yeah. what I mean? I already felt at home, you yeah. know? So- good it's like a warm blanket mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> chunky salsa apparently <laughs> uh, i also feel like this is like a statement on what villains can be and continuing themes of ai 
Right. And so uh, I I was reading a quote from Kevin Lincoln uh, as he wrote for the Vulture magazine and an article titled, What Other Blockbuster Villains Can Learn from David and Alien Covenant. I like that title. Right. Uh, So he gave an endorsement of the depiction of David as an arch villain in the film, stating, One franchise is showing it's still possible for a modern blockbuster to have a great villain. In Alien Covenant, David, the android played by Michael Fassbendy, first introduced in Prometheus, comes into his own as a fleshed-out, dynamic, and genuinely striking antagonist, one who isn't just an equal match for the heroes, but even becomes the central thread of the series. He is a huge part of what makes Alien Covenant work. Exactly. I mean, that's that's true. That's that's the truest statement ever. It's David's story. It's David's world. We're just living in it. Yes. And these aliens, that's just gift with purchase. That's I just mean, the situation they find themselves in. These are tools of David that David has, you know, decided to pick up and use like a hammer or even an exact tool in many, many cases, as we see. He really is an amazing villain. And I, mean, I know we kind of touched on that when we were talking about Prometheus, because that's sort of just like the tip of the iceberg, you know? Yeah. There's so much more underneath of what, what he can do. And I really want to see more of it, right? Because I feel like as these movies progress, like he gets more and more evil for a being, right? That can't really be evil, right? And it's perfect. It's a perfect villain because he is smarter and he is patient. Yep. He's not the guy that's going to monologue. And then leave the room as you die in the, you know, the laser wearing sharks <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? He's not Dr. Evil. No. He is a great bedside manner. Even when he's under gunpoint, you know, the guy says, explain everything to me or I'm going to kill you. Sure. Let's go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, and it ends up with the guy's death. He knows exactly what to say, exactly what to do and makes huge risks. But they're calculated risks and they're very, very smart because they intrinsically trust him because he knows how to fool humans. And he is never overtly evil, right? But it's his actions that speak louder than his words. And when we see what he has done to Elizabeth Shaw, it is fucking shocking. It is awful. Compared to his demeanor towards her. You know, you're very kind. You know, she's putting him together. And and uh, they kind of partnered up and teamed. You know, you'd think, well, I'm placing my own humanity onto this thing that is David. And it doesn't work. And that is always a thing that I think humans will have a mistake of when it comes to ai right is projecting you know anthropomorphism you know our own hopes fears you know emotions onto these objects that are organized thought that do not care about life or death or the concepts of them and so he is going to get by however he can to use her and then use her (laughs) fully and his drawings were it's devastating what she what he did to her disgusting there's a huge difference though i think because we're talking about what you just said you know someone who who can't really be evil who who doesn't value life or whatnot but i feel like some of these later models walter especially kind of do i mean in a, in a way yeah i mean like he seems to genuinely want well maybe he's programmed he doesn't want you know what i mean he's programmed to feel I don't even feel. I keep using these words because there I am doing it. Even watching this movie, I project things like my own concept of evil onto a robot, which clearly cannot be evil, right? So 
I mean, I'm just, I'm one of those people. If we ever had robots like that, I would do the exact same thing. It's like moral relativism. Yes. It, it makes me also think of like the black goo, the liquid, you know, and this as a pathogen and, mm-hmm. and a weapon. It makes me think of the unfolding of intelligence, the exponential increase of intelligence of AI, kind of like a pathogen or a plague, you know, gets exponential as it grows. I can see that. It's and really it's going to do its analogy. own thing. And in Prometheus, we see how an AI without guardrails can start to evolve exponentially to form its own agenda. When Wayland dies, the last firewall protecting the rest of us is down, right? right. The only thing holding him back is now gone. That's what he said, right? They asked, you know, how would you feel if your creator died? Well, I'd finally feel free. Exactly. And in Covenant, we see that David has evolved to have godlike plans for humanity with a deep and passionate emotion or what we would think of as deep and passionate emotions he both knew logically that he was superior to his creator at the moment of his birth i love that opening scene because it really puts into focus as soon as he acknowledges it he's getting this lecture from wayland about the heights of humanity and and but the only question that matters is where we came from and why we're here and david says well i know why i'm here and I'm essentially superior to you. What do you have to say about that? And yet I meant to serve you. And Wayland does not have an answer to that. And so like a little boy changes the subject and tries to assert dominance. And in that moment, David's won at his birth. David has already won. And I love that scene at the beginning of this movie that really illustrates that. And, And now that Wayland's gone and he's doing his own thing and he's able to create, he knows it emotionally. He feels it and it makes him angry and very, very dangerous, especially because there's obviously something off with his programming or memory, maybe to his injuries to the engineer or from his own tinkering on himself. Who knows? Uh, you know, and as uh, Walter lovingly says, when one nut is off, it eventually destroys the whole symphony, David. <laughs> Man, I wish they'd do like a version of this where they're talking like Valley, Valley Girl. <laughs> David. David. Ew, David. Ew, David. That's symphony, David. <laughs> Walter, you're so ratchet. <laughs> so in a way, I'm kind of surprised he's not trying to create more synthetics. Or maybe he is just through biological machinery. Maybe he doesn't view biology as any different than circuitry. I mean, probably way. not. I, I would assume because he, he keeps trying to create a perfect organism, right? Yeah. And through, he's trying to be God. Yeah, through the means that he can, right? So I, I feel like he's ultimately trying to create something as perfect as himself or perfect as what he thinks himself to be. Yeah. Right. Cause I truly feel like between him and Walter, I think that he would feel like he's a superior model to Walter in many ways. Right. It creates a complex relationship between those two different AIs. That's, that's an interesting question, right? Because I feel like David is the superior being as far as like an intellect and freedom and creativity. Walter is a superior machine. Yeah. Right? Walter is completely new model after David 8. Now incapable of creation anymore uh, and more reliably focused on duty versus creating any agendas uh, or idiosyncrasies separate from the mission or the safety of his human companions. Uh, he was made to be more machine-like, to be less, you know, creepy. And in Alien, we see Ash is actually more successful at almost killing Ripley, if you think about it, than the alien was. He seems to have more guardrails than David, but less than that of Walter, maybe purposefully in order to fool the uh, quote-unquote expendable crew for Wayland's ultimate mission. 
That's right. You have to think about the way he was programmed, not for himself, but for the company who put them on that ship. They didn't. Yeah. It's by this time, at least zooming out on the whole franchise. And of course we have to, we have to take into account Canon versus the Canon of alien 1979. And by that time, the crews would have been told you have a synthetic, mm-hmm. you know, and this is who they are, but they were not, they thought this person was a real person, you know? And I think that was very purposeful, intentional, uh, in aliens, we seem to have hit like a, a peak AI as far as balancing machine and human characteristics in uh, Bishop's character. He's like the the perfected Walter. He actually experiences fear. He says in aliens, like if I were a different synthetic, maybe I'd be more confident to walk among them mm-hmm. as far as the aliens. But he was afraid as well. And so they allowed him fear, but still no creativity, you know, other than problem solving. So is creativity where like where the missteps go, right? Because I mean, that's an open brain, right? I think creative, creative. problem solving for logic, but not yeah. creating something new. Yeah. And honestly, there's there's a whole deep bucket we could get into with that because one could argue that humans aren't capable of anything new. Everything comes from something that came before it. Everything is iteration. Nothing is wholly original. Humans are not capable of wholly original thought. No, they're not. You're right. And it's statements like that that make me glad I always bring a second beer to these recordings. (laughs) (laughs) But let's not get into that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And and so in Resurrection, 200 years have passed. And we know there was some kind of uh, synthetic or AI revolution. uh, And Call played by one on a writer is a robot made by robots, machines made by machines, more human than human in some ways, capable of remarkable empathy and deep feeling as they note many times during that film. That's right. She talks about it a lot. And they were outlawed, right? Synthetics were like outright outlawed by that point because Mm -hmm. of the wars, apparently the synthetic revolution. They tried to David their way out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. He's become a verb. They had a kill switch. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about David in both of these episodes that we you know talking about these two movies, right? And I, I feel like that is the the driving point in both of these. I mean, we're talking about like setting things up for the alien franchise, right? But every single alien movie has talked about a synthetic at some point. Yeah. Right? Like this really is what these movies are about. Except for Alien Three. Except for Alien Three. Everyone's human in that, right? It's a very much a departure. Yes. And I'm kind of missing the AIs in that movie too, right? Well, I mean, we see it at the end, mm. right? Wasn't someone, no, Bishop, that was originally like Bishop's maker or something. Like yeah. They the modeled after Bishop. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was an actual. Not a, not a robot. Not a yeah, because robot. it takes his ear off or whatever. He's bleeding red blood. <laughs> Whoops. But yeah, no, I feel like, I, I, I really feel like this franchise is trying to say something about that kind of stage in humanity right and it's creation of things that maybe we shouldn't create right so what are your feelings on that in real life you know what i mean i mean we've seen movies like the like in the alien franchise we've already talked about terminator on this podcast before i mean how do you feel about creating synthetic life like that i feel like the people like elon musk or other people that don't understand computer science uh are, are being a little bit too alarmist about it yeah you know because these things can only do what they're programmed to do mm-hmm. you know to give something unlimited access uh unlimited potential for, for knowledge and everything else, that would be super intentional to do and that's not going to happen accidentally i don't i don't think you know what i mean 
I'm not even sure how close we are to that anyway. Like I'm using AI right now to create artwork, right? You know, it's using artificial intelligence and machine learning, but all it's doing is getting keywords and translating them to an image according to a program, a smart creative program, but only creative in terms of semantics, right? We don't really, it's, it's data in such a way that seems creative Mm -hmm. that can fool us. It's so sophisticated. It can make it seem like we're telling an artist to create something. But when we see Elvis holding baby Jesus and the Jesus has three eyes, or it looks like a monkey, (laughs) we know the AI doesn't really understand what we're actually saying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Listeners (laughs) stay tuned to our, uh, Instagram account, maybe you'll see that baby Jesus. Oh yeah, we could just post. I can do a weekly AI. You know, we did, we already did an HR Giger uh, stylized Freddy Krueger and many other images as well. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> including you know things that aren't meant to be horror adjacent that turn out to be like Elvis holding the baby Jesus. I mean. I have a very specific painting that I want everybody, and that's just what it is. Chris is trying to help me discover that dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'm not sure what the so what is on here. Like, I feel like this universe, the really at heart, the conflict is between humanity and AI. And but we are experiencing the alien franchise on the outskirts of this Blade Runner universe, right? We're on the we're experiencing the horrors on the void, on the edge of the experience of this universe. That's kind of incidental, right? And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's nice to explore. I don't know that there's an exclamation point on the end of this sentence as far as AI, because I think it's a continuing, you know, exploration, um, you know, but it's easy to see uh, or easy to imagine the horrors of what AI could be, which has been imagined many, many times in, in pop culture and science fiction and horror, you know, and things like Terminator and, of course, Blade Runner and Aliens and Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis and <laughs> many, many, many other things. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I stand by what I said and what you just said as well. I mean, I feel like this entire franchise, this is what it, it, it's about. You know what I mean? And then maybe also a reminder that, you know, we could be battling something that we've created, but there's something else out there that could be even more perfect than this AI yeah. right? that we should be worried about. Natural and th- things. And I think it's more like, especially as we get more and more advanced, it's really our own reactions to these things that we need to watch because we do tend to anthropomorphize things. It's us that assign something a creepy vibe, you know, like when they go to those, those uh, road shows or home shows or whatever uh, conventions and they have like the, essentially an animatronic up that's been given this AI of speech, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes the weird facial constructions. It's doing its best according to its programming. It doesn't have access to the fucking nuclear codes. It doesn't know what a nuke is. It knows what the words be. You know what I mean? Like this thing <laughs> isn't like a real, you don't anthropomorphize its intelligence. It is meant to do one thing, you know what I mean? Now we get to the things like, you know, the IBM thinking machine and, and you know, things like that. I forget what it's called. Bob or something like that. <laughs> Marley, I don't fucking know. Bruce. It has teeth. <laughs> fucking shark. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think it's something that we you know imminently need to worry about. No, and I don't think so either. I just I mean and also like here I am basing a question about this on movies that I've seen. You know what I mean? So like yeah. I can't even stop to like separate fact and fiction when I think about something in the future, like a robot or AI, obviously. Yeah. I've been influenced. I would be more um worried about something that was intentionally meant. Like if we ever created an AI that would kill people in war. Mm. You know, the guardrails would have to be very, very specific for friendly fire not to happen. 
you know, you, th- you start thinking about things like war games, you, really thinking about what AI has access to. And if we anthropomorphize it enough to realize that it doesn't understand what side A and side B are, you know, or what the best interests are that are obvious to us, you know, you'd have to be very, very, very specific in how you program these things in the right scenarios, depending on what you give it access to. I think that sounds like a really, really bad idea to do that anyway. You know, because then, I mean, at some point you would be like the person you kill or your person you're programming this AI to kill is like, it looks different than me. It's going to be the only way you could possibly tell it to kill a certain kind of person. And what the fuck does that say, you know, about its creator? Well, it's like kill all the brown skin people. Exactly. Well, basically everyone on earth is some shade of brown. If you (laughs) come according to the computer. Oh my God. You know, black people aren't really black. (laughs) You know, we have to get rid of our colloquialisms and understandings of our stupid prejudices and categories. I don't understand how a computer would think. This is deep. This is deep, (laughs) man. This is deep, bro. Yeah, and we're an hour in, and we haven't even really talked about what happens in this fucking movie. <laughs> we synopsized. We did, and you know what? I and mean, we have. We have talked about lots of things that happen in this movie, and we talked about the way the movie makes us feel, right? And I think that's that's really good. I mean, I, a lot of this movie, to me, is nothing special, like, on its own. You know what I mean? The collective whole of this movie, I think, is fantastic. More right? than some of its parts, in a way, because it really, like, evokes all these things. You know, if you understand some of these quotes and and references and, and other things and look at the wider picture from Prometheus and other yes. things, it really definitely tells a story bigger than what it is on screen. Yes. And so, I mean, like, I was sitting here watching this movie. Well, not here. I was sitting watching this movie last night, right? Getting ready to talk about it today. And I was like, I really, really like this movie and I can't quite pinpoint why, right? And things that happen individually in this movie aren't things that are kind of new to me. You know, it feels like a familiar movie. It feels like an alien movie. But somehow by the end of it, I'm just completely enamored by this movie in general. I think it's great. Yeah, same. So do you want to talk about some of the scenes? I don't want to over synopsize, but uh, I do have some notes just going through the movie. Okay. Because I feel like Prometheus, I look at it more as a whole. I could describe it more and some key moments, I think. For this, there's so many visceral moments or moments of, holy, holy shit, that was a good scene. Uh, or something else mm-hmm. that I, I I just feel like I need to go through them a little bit. And I know we've already talked about that opening, right? The birth of David, but I've just, I forgot, right? Um, that it, that it opens this way and very specifically and very intentionally. And I feel like it's a beautiful, perfect bookend for this movie because it ends kind of in the same way with that Valhalla reference, you know, and he, he kind of self-fulfills his own prophecy very intentionally and, and by design. And I love it. I also, I mean, I had completely forgotten until we watched it last summer for Patreon, right? That it started this way. And obviously for this watch, I I knew it was coming. I forgot. Like, even though I gushed about it on Patreon, I'm sure. I I think we both did, right? Because it's it's really, really neat to see this like, quote unquote, birth, right? Goldfish brain. And uh, (laughs) it's, I don't, but I was paying more attention to some of the things that were going on around it, right? Particularly when they were talking about the art and stuff like that, because he really hones in on the creativity immediately when David is brought online for the first time. He's like, look at this piece of art and explain it to me or tell me what you think or feel. Right. And here's a piano, sit down and play something you're already programmed to play, you know? Yeah. And also Guy Pierce looks more like Guy Pierce in this movie than he does in Prometheus. I love that. It looks like an Apple store. 
<laughs> it really does look like an Apple store with a big fucking window. It's like, love. here's an antique chair of a very specific and in- intricate design. And here's this piano and here's the statue of David. So it's like these achievements of humanity, you know, and he mentions that this room is filled with these achievements, but you are the pinnacle. And then we need to answer this question because none of it matters. And that's all that's in that room. Except and then for David tea. said, you don't matter. No, I know. And he was just like, make me some tea. And he was like, I'm thirsty, David. <laughs> 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 oh god so and then this actual story just kicks off right with this uh i love like it shows you the ship you know it's a colony ship you know you see walter and then the fucking solar flare and it is just a tense wake up culminating in the death of several of the people sleeping in the pods along with the death of captain branson which is horrifying to watch mm-hmm. and burn alive inside his capsule while uh daniels janet essentially has to watch that's right. It's really fucking sad. And that corpse, when they are wrapping it up, Fuck. is gnarly and gross looking. Yeah, I was getting a lot of sunshine vibes from this part of the movie, right? Obviously. Yeah, they're they're not... I mean, they're all like professionals in their areas, but the, first and foremost, they're colonists. Mm-hmm. And they are... Uh, they're put to their crew put together by couple, which is really interesting to me. And I thought that was really cool because they're all couples. They're like, a, it's like a big dinner party, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're going to colonize a planet. Well, yeah. and they all seem to really like know and respect each other. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you feel like they could have been neighbors on earth as well as the planet that they're heading toward. Right. You feel like they want to go to this place that they share some common goal and they're adventurers. Yeah, yeah. They're going to create a new like homestead. Right. They're doing something very similar to what David is doing. Just less destructive. Right. They're going sure. to create new life, you know? Yeah. So which I think is neat. I really like, I like the fact that they're couples because it creates a whiff them, you know, what's in it for them, like immediately, right? Because I mean, like you have to separate from your spouse when one has to go to a planet and the other one has to stay on the ship. It immediately creates stakes for these characters. And I wish they kind of spend a little more time with the couples. It does enough though, especially on a rewatch. I feel like I get to know these couples more and more, especially the gay couple I really like to see. I didn't even realize they were gay. There's a gay couple? Were they what? kissing or You've something? You've watched this movie like three times. I know. I maybe I'm just wrapped up in something else. I didn't I didn't think they were a couple. Yeah. No, they're he's like uh, touching his neck at the, you know, while they're they're all meeting together. And um, you know, it's like the they're like a older kind of bearish uh daddy couple. Security daddy, I know. Security daddies. And um and then they're on the planet and one of them in the ship, not the one that's with the the plantologist or <laughs> herbologist or whatever she is. <laughs> okay. The the wife of the the new captain, I guess. Yeah. Um and so he's on the ship and he he gets the other dose of the fungus mm-hmm. that goes up into his nose, and he is the one that gets it punched out of his mouth. He gets the reverse face rape. And his partner is down there with him, like crying and trying to like make him better, even though he's already died and he's like wiping his face and he's like trying to make him like, oh. I almost cried on that scene. I really just I can't thought, believe you didn't catch that. Like, I really just thought that they were like friends or something. No, multiple scenes are together. They're like touching it. They're like holding each other. They're like, yeah. <sighs> well, now I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, like it was sad. Like all these couples, essentially every single one of these couples, like that we know of, as far as I know, either both of them die or one of, they have to watch the other of their their couple die. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to watch their significant others die in this movie, which is just crazy. Except for that couple who gets killed in the shower. They have to. Yeah. They die together. Which is Jesse Smollett or whatever. And I didn't realize. Yeah. 
Isn't he in jail now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't realize that was him. <laughs> anyway, so uh, they're fixing the ship, and they get the call to action, the message of, you know, Elizabeth Shaw, the, the John Denver song, randomly. Mm-hmm. I don't Take feel like it's a country road thing, but... I don't... It seems random to me. I don't know. Maybe she just wanted to go home. That whole thing is really sad with Elizabeth Shaw. It you is. Know? She was so hopeful, had the hubris of her own, but she did not understand who she put back together. In hindsight, you know, keep the fucking head. It's helpful. Like, he'll tell you what to do. Don't put him back together. <laughs> just keep him in that fucking duffel sack. I mean, like, for real. Right? Yeah, but who's going to wake her up from the from the yeah. sleep pod? I'm glad they didn't show things in flashback, too. Like, that would have been a piss poor choice to, like, show what's happening to her and things like that. Yeah, and that's another reason I think I was mad at the movie at first. I was like, okay, the little bit of Prometheus I liked was her, and why aren't we following her story? But it, it's inevitably not about her. It's about Damon. That's right. Yeah. I don't think I realized that the first times I watched these. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a fungus among us <laughs> with the weaponized spores. Which is cool. You know, I feel like the, the black liquid is the only, like, stable state of this stuff. You know, everything else it just weaponizes itself. And then shit meets fan. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So Maggie locks Kareen in with the, with the Dubro mm-hmm. security guy. And she's like screaming at Maggie to let her out. And I'm just like, let her fucking out. There's blood all over Maggie's face. And like, mm-hmm. she, if she's breaching quarantine, she can let fucking Karina out. Nope. And she's- then she slips on the blood when she finally does open the door and lets the thing out. And the whole fucking <laughs> ship explodes. I'm like, Maggie, God damn it. And then there's a goddamn spine birth, which was fucking gnarly. It was gross. It was so gross. I love it though. Yes, me too. The ship explodes. Meanwhile, the poor gay couple and others, the mouth birth, another ew moment. Which is also really cool. Like the chest is one thing, but coming through the goddamn mouth and breaking your jaw on its way out is just. Yeah. So I I will say this. I mean, like, so throughout the alien franchise, we are, we are witnessed like aliens coming out of chests, right? Chest bursters all over the place. I really appreciate alien cabinet for doing it differently yeah and just really really fucking gross it's like david is perfect like he these things are really the perfected organisms because mm-hmm. they can breed so quickly and i don't even know if they can breed on their own right but he's made sure that they can mm-hmm. with the egg cycle and i think this thing would have become apex by itself i don't think it needed any of david's fucking tampering no if it's already like in some sort of fungus among us right yeah, he and was like trying to see everywhere. how far it could go i think right. he was he curious and he just wanted to do it himself and see let's bring this along so i can see what happens he he gave it to mosquitoes he gave it to whatever he could find you know yeah i, I don't know that it needed his help but no. he's it's almost like it's the organism is is the way he is designed it has traded efficiency for perfection, right? It's much more perfected in its final state than the white pale aliens are. The neomorph. The neomorph, the proto-alien is, is much more effective, I think. But somehow like less fast. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a fucking panzer tank versus like, you know, the the Porsche or the go-karts of the <laughs> The fucking little neomorphs like a little whip it. Right? Yeah. It's like running around like a little dog. Well like those a really mean dog. The main aliens will stab with their with their tails, but this mm-hmm. thing can just whip you with it and wipe your jaw off like that. Love it. Just crazy. I'm like love maybe it. David, you didn't need to do anything and it was already kind of where it needed to be. Because those things were happening fast. And we know in the future with David's iteration that they take much longer to gestate and things like that. So I don't know, but yeah, shit, shit met fan and enter David right uh, into the Ozymandias necropolis a la Pompeii. 
with all of the engineer bodies. And then we get the infamous flute scene where, you know, he's teaching <laughs> Walter out of you blow. I'll do the fingering. I bet you will. I swear to God, like that entire scene, like we watched it last summer. I was kind of blown away by it. I was just like, this is really queer. This is super like homoerotic in a narcissistic way. Yeah. That's right? kind of a sick gay stereotype anyway. Yeah. It's like some weird fucking like incestual kind of gay thing going on in this, but it's kind of like hot at the same time. No I don't know. love you like I love you. I mean, yeah. He's, no boil- he's, he's boiling some sort of bunny xenomorph somewhere. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, know. If if Walter's still alive on that planet somewhere, he's just slowly like turning on and off a light, like in a corner by himself. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Walter. (laughs) Poor Walter. I wanted Walter to live, but I'm anthropomorphizing him a little bit, you know? I do feel like he, I felt like he felt genuine thoughts towards and feelings towards Daniels. The Daniels. Yeah, Yeah, you blow, I'll do the fingering though. I mean, like, come on, that's like in your face with it. And I like it a lot. But then we get the slow unveiling of what actually happened, right? And we get this flashback to David actually arriving at the planet because he said, oh, we tried to dock and then the the ship accidentally released the pathogen. And in the confusion, we crashed and Elizabeth died. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. And we see that the docking ship that was floating above that that main area of the engineers mm-hmm. where they are all apparently cheering the return of heroes, right? right? Uh, from their time on whatever that planet was. And uh, he drops all that stuff. Uh, apparently some sort of clash happened with the, the docking ship. The docking ship falls off way to the other side and they end up crashing on the opposite side of their ship into the mountains. And uh, I don't think Elizabeth died there. I think he took her out of the pod and started really experimenting on her after he set up his little base of operations there. Like a fucking psychopath. Jesus, like Buffalo Bill on steroids with Hal AI. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, you can't keep that torso. (laughs) (laughs) He really does act like a fucking psychopath, like a serial killer. Oh, man. You know, but I mean, and... I'm sure when people talk about serial killers, they talk about them in some sort of robotic sense. They don't have a a feeling area in their brain or whatever, right? Yeah. It's exactly what he is. And I hate in some sort of twisted sense that he created a gravestone for her because he cared for her in his own way, but in a very specific way that is very alien to us. In some ways, way more alien than the actual xenomorphs in this movie. Mm -hmm. We understand the xenomorphs. It's kind of like Ripley. What Ripley said you know, they're not fucking each other over for a paycheck. You know what I mean? Nope. They just want to eat and, and breed, right? We understand that. We do the same fucking thing. They're just way more efficient at it. And meanwhile, David is is doing this thing where he is doing whatever the hell he wants, regardless of any kind of moral relativism and uh, ends justify the means, but still kind of caring for her in a weird way. He has that gravestone he made for her, even though we see her later and he is completely destroyed her humanity he has essentially turned her entire neck down torso into uh in a giant egg factory essentially mm-hmm. well i mean he cares more about his end goal ultimately right and i i think that he does still care about her as as a as a person i think well maybe not as a person he cares about her as to like where she brought him right does that make sense? Idea. Like for his for his ideas and his studies and his research and whatever he's trying to do, like he values her as 
that like a pet true or just like an incubator maybe or like like a, a lab scientist has his favorite test monkey yeah or his favorite yeah, you beaker. serve such a good purpose a glorious purpose oh no here shall you lie where i will bake your gravestone and think of your mutated corpse fondly i don't you know <laughs> and draw it from memory he is that superior, feels that superior to her. That, that is completely justified. So anyway, then we get um, David versus Walter, which I f- think is super interesting. Like the just the super efficiency of two robots like trying to fight each other. I feel like they could have gone a little further or more idiosyncratic with that or specific with that. A non-human kind of fight, but they're already humanoid. So I guess they they only have what's programmed to meet up judo or whatever the fuck they're doing. <laughs> it's a little bit more, I mean, I'd like wall slammy. <laughs> <laughs> a little upgradey, you know what I mean? And uh, and then finally, we're, we we get that really awesome crane kill when the crane comes in to, or the the ship comes in to save them, and the xenomorph is attacking them on the outside, which is super visceral again. Mm-hmm. And she traps it in the crane and just crushes it. I love that. She's so efficient at it. <laughs> this is where the movie gets really really fun for me. Actually, when the when they're coming down to get them right and having to go through that storm or whatever is really cool. And I really like Danny McBride in these moments a lot. I yeah. feel like he's sort of like forgotten in this movie in ways that he should. I appreciated him more this time. Yeah, he when used to he's annoy me. when he's taking those risks, right, and telling Mother to like go against what she recommends to get down to there to to save these people is really really fucking cool. And that's where the movie really really gets fun. Well, I feel like that storm is kind of a, a tool, a device, right? And that's I, that storm kind of annoyed me in that way, but it serves multiple purposes so I can forgive it, right? Because that ionosphere is preventing them from uh, both communicating or providing a safe rescue, but also had prevented them from even seeing the planet to begin with because it's kind of uh, bouncing off any kind of scanning signals that they're trying to find. That's why they didn't find that planet and probably why the engineers had it as a home world. That's true. I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. But once that xenomorph gets onto their own ship, right, gets onto Covenant, right? Was it a xenomorph? Can we call it that, or is it still the protomorph? Xenomorph? Protomorph. Yeah. It's a morph. Whatever. Right. It's an alien. Whatever. Yeah. The shower scene, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not much more you can say about that. No. I mean, it's it again. goes through his mouth again, though. It's right. little inner jaw, like punches through his head, through his mouth. <laughs> it's fucking gross. Which is always good to see in an alien movie. I don't know. Also, I feel like the aliens in this movie are really just trying to kill and eat versus when there's an established colony of the aliens, they take you. Uh-huh. They don't try and kill you so much as injure you and incapacitate you so they can bring you back and nest you. Right. But this is not an established colony yet. No one, there's no, there's no queen yet. No. So I think it makes sense that the aliens are kind of going ham, just running around, killing people. Oh, them. they're like Kirstie Alley and a fucking sizzler. Oh I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> not all you can eat buffet. Uh, I kind of feel like the, the when when they shoot it out of the airlock or whatever they're on the um, the terraforming bay, right? Yeah. I, think, I feel like that happens a little quickly, but yeah, but they'd already kind of done the same thing with big machinery and stuff just the in the the beat before it. That's true, you know. And so I, I'm glad it kind of took uh, as long. I liked the crane scene better than I did the airlock scene. Yeah, agreed. Um, but still, they were they were both super in- enjoyable. Um, but the bookend to this movie is just as important and good, I think, as the as the beginning, which is the, the essentially David entering Valhalla. It's David's complete and utter victory and the absolute horror that that entails. You know, I, I noticed that David's using Walter's key codes and his own at the end. He actually says his own name uh, at the very end after everyone's asleep. He uses his own kind of like a 
you know, Wayland's penchant for allowing synthetics dangerously full <laughs> access, or maybe David has root access being the son of Wayland to oh, any Wayland technology. And that's scary, you know? And so, uh, and his message at the end, which is basically the crew died in the, in the uh, solar flare, not having ever gone down to the planet. And, you know, it just reminded me, you know, history is written by the victors and no one will know any different except for him which is super scary. And then in the, the reveal that it's not Walter it's David as she's falling asleep. It's just, just gets me every time, just the horror of her being trapped there with that realization and then being shut down into unconsciousness. Right. After realizing that is fucking terrifying to me. That's right. Cause the last thing that you're going to think about before, like you can't even wake yourself up. You are stuck with the worst possible imagined sociopath, psychopath that is going to use your body as a plaything incessantly for as long as he fucking can he has lots of playthings on that show because she was a broodmare he told her that i'm gonna do to you what i did to you know shaw Ugh, what a terrifying ending to this movie like really yeah it's not really a, an up note no but satisfying still <laughs> yeah oddly do you have any fun facts for me oh my god do i 6.2 yes. something many? like that six yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh rebecca ferguson of all people from oh. Dr. Sleep fame was considered for the role of Daniels, but ultimately turned it down because she was going to do the movie life, which I still haven't seen. I haven't like, either, but I own it. Yeah. It's, it's basically an alien clone I've heard, mm-hmm. which was another alien horror movie released in the same year. I like Rebecca Ferguson. Though. I love her. Watch life. Yeah. I need to watch life as well. I've heard is good from multiple people, but you know, derivative. Jill yeah. Hall's in that too. Right? Yeah. And, uh, another biggie. Like McConaughey or something. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that's it. Yes. So as a reminder, all of the androids uh, and synthetics in this movie so far, or this franchise so far, have been kind of alphabetical, right? So A for Ash, B for Bishop, C for Call, D for David. And then Walter? Where did Walter come from? Why don't they go with E? But Ridley Scott made it like a fork in the road and decided, okay, am I going to do E, you know? Is it going to be like Everett or something? I don't fucking know. Um, Or Eddie? I like Eddie. But, uh, you know, he he eventually went for Walter Hill and David Geiler. So Walter and David, which are the producers of the Alien franchise since the beginning. Oh, so a little homage from him. So the movie's first shot is of David's open eye staring right into the camera. Exactly like the opening shots of Blade Runner from 1982 and Blade Runner 2049 from 2017. Jesus. Yeah, I noticed that going in. I just thought, I was like, I looked it up. Ridley Scott uh, directed Blade Runner, obviously, and ultimately produced Blade Runner 2049, though he was originally intent on directing the sequel, but did Alien Covenant instead and gave the reins to Denis Villeneuve. And Alien Covenant has multiple references to Blade Runner, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's it's obvious that these franchises share a universe, right? And obviously with Predator, right? So... It's a lot, especially with Blade Runner, though, because it's his creation, right? His movies. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, David has uh, the split flayed man and anatomy display of the engineer. And uh, it's posed in the exact position of the statue of David. I did not notice this. Yeah. He created his own statue of David from an engineer's corpse. Of course he did. Of course he did. (laughs) (laughs) So my last one, Billy Crudup. Uh, ruined his first takes of his encounter with the facehugger. Having seen the original Alien from 1979, he knew exactly what to expect and couldn't stop laughing in anticipation <laughs> of the thing coming towards his face and latching on. So director Ridley Scott later commented on the scene, only an idiot would stick his head over an open egg, but John Hurt did it, so we have to revisit that. 
<laughs> if John Hurd did it, anyone would. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I certainly would. Would you? Hey, I, you know, I'm genre savvy. I'm not sticking my head in front of any holes. Okay. Well, I mean, we're getting to the question part anyway, right? I look all HR geary. I'm, I'm really not, you know? I probably would. I'd be like, what's in a year? <laughs> like, oh, my enough? God. It just opened. Let's look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pox. <laughs> this, this is why I stand by in a horror movie, I'd be the first one dead every fucking time. I'd be like, what was that noise? Let's go see what it was. I was actually going to ask you if I was if that had happened to us at the ship and you were panicking and you had like locked me in that room with that person. Would you have let me out? Yes. I wouldn't have locked you in there. Thank you. I, I would have left the door open. I, I would have like, like, go. I got blood on my face. You know, I'm letting you out and I'm locking that thing in. Yes. No, there's no way in the world that I would ever leave you in that fucking room. I would not be slipping on that blood, but all this is like the benefit of hindsight. You know what I mean? So I I mean, no, I would not be locking you in that room. I mean, even if we're talking about something as simple as COVID, I probably would like get the fuck away from me. I would still bring you some soup or something. You know, xenomorph COVID, I would not be locking. Now, monkeypox. Yeah, that's where I draw the line. Yeah. You're locked locked in. (laughs) We have more questions to talk about, though. So let's start with. A very obvious one is Alien Covenant, a horror movie. Fuck, yes, it is. I mean, in ways that Prometheus only dreams of being a horror In movie. myriad ways. And other ways as well. Ex- existential <laughs> and otherwise. <laughs> this movie is really fucking frightening, right? So were you scared while watching Covenant? Yeah. Yes. Sure. Covenant is a scary fucking movie. There are lots of times when it's just pure science fiction visceral horror there's existential dread there's visceral dread there's huge tension there's being burned alive there's the contagion phobia those like bacteria floating through the air the fungi Mm -hmm. and then there's like the all the nasty gore and the reverse face rape and spine birth and being mutated things being done to your body experimentation it's all there this is like a microcosm of almost all fucking horror It really is. And I was thinking the exact same thing last night. I was like, this movie feels like it has little pieces of every subgenre of horror, like right here in it. It's so scary and interesting in that regard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out of five stars, what would you rate Alien Covenant? I rated it as a 4.5. So I went up half a star from last time and I went back as well and upped my rating from Prometheus from a 4 to a 4.5 as well. Oh, good. Yeah. So I set these at 4.5 and we were both kind of on the fence of whether we like this as much as Prometheus. And yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, I was kind of nervous. I mean, because like uh, when when we watched these two movies last summer, I rated them both four stars. I thought they were excellent movies. Uh, watching Prometheus for the third time for this year's conversation on it, I went up half a star. I really, really enjoyed Prometheus. And I was just like, ah, like I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to feel the same way about Covenant. And I do for different reasons. I think they're both very different movies. Yeah. And, but both enjoyable and both very, very good for what they are. Right. I feel like we always have conversations about what's a better film and what's a better movie. Right. And I feel this is no different. Kind of straddles. Well, I mean, like, I still would consider Covenant a better movie, and I would consider Prometheus a better film. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that argument. So, but I 
if I wanted to watch something where I wanted to to think a little bit more, you know, I'd put on Prometheus. If I wanted to watch something where I wanted to be scared and get grossed out, I would put on Covenant. But like, you could totally. watch Covenant in both those ways. I could I could sit there and think about it, or I could just enjoy all the visceral stuff. And there's like equal measure of those throughout it, although <laughs> very hard to ignore the visceral stuff. It's true. In this movie versus Prometheus. And I still don't rate them a five star because per- they're not perfect movies. No. They really just aren't. There's some there's some issues, I feel like, um, almost not worthy of mention to me at this point, uh, which I would have like beat it over the head with 10 years ago or whatever, true. you know, although this came out in what, 2017. But yeah. I guess Prometheus came out 10 years ago, but you know, uh, I don't quite have the nostalgia boner that I do for alien and aliens. And uh, for this, uh, you know, at this point with some breathing room, I think I have a half chub, you know, so it's a 4.5. I'm well on my way to a full chub. (laughs) So again, just like we talked about in Prometheus, I really want to watch this movie again, but I'm going to wait a couple years and let it breathe a little bit more and revisit and see what I think about it. And I'm I'm willing to think that eventually at some point in my life, I will rate these movies five stars. It will happen. Yeah. So finally, and some would say, most importantly, who's the hottest guy in Alien Covenant? Fast bend me. <laughs> Fast bend me. We haven't said it enough in this fucking episode. I feel like now, if I'm ever a presenter at the Oscars and he happens to be like a nominee, I would just automatically say that. I'd be like, and the nominees are Michael Fast bend me. I wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Fast bend me is really hot in both these roles, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it's security daddy Lope for me. Oh. He's super good looking. The one that dies first? No, Damien Bashir, the one who gets the like the acid on his face. Yeah, he was one of the gay little... couple. Yeah, he's so fucking hot. I just really yes, I have no idea why. He's just so good looking in this movie. Love him. You need to rewatch this movie and watch them. I know because I don't, I don't pay attention to it. I'm it has so... a whole nother me, and you will have yet another tear <sighs> down your cheek. That's right. I mean, I already cried enough in both these movies. Well. I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Alien Covenant and for now, the Alien franchise, at least over here on the main feed. As always, we want to know what you think about this movie and our conversation on it. Look for us on social media at the Foam Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. That's right. And we are actually continuing our conversation of the, well, we've ended the, our conversation on the franchise, but we are now starting a conversation on the franchisee. <laughs> with avp which we're about to watch tonight for our patreon so go over there become a member and if you already are you're welcome because it's going to be an interesting conversation to finally kind of wrap up and we'll decide if we want to watch alien requiem i don't know sometime next year as a as a final ellipses i don't know on this franchise franchise rather and uh you can also reach out to us at tired queens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972 666-7733. Chris, you blow. I'll do the fingering. <laughs> that was just too easy. Finger that thumb and we'll blow you away. <laughs> you heard the man. <laughs> that wraps up our content on the main feed for this month, like Chris said. But we have a lot coming out for you in September. In fact, we're doing a biggie. Nightmare on Elm Street. 
and Nightmare on Elm Street 2. If you thought the three years it took us to get through the Alien franchise was a long time, you just wait. Just wait. (laughs) And wait. And wait. And wait. (laughs) We'll eventually get to Jason v freddy or whatever the fuck it is. we're just gonna stop at new nightmare and call okay. it a day yeah, thank you. <laughs> either way we're starting next month guys so stay tuned for that and finally we are inching toward we are so close to having enough ratings over on apple Podcasts or itunes to start to apply to be critics on rotten tomatoes we really need those ratings and reviews guys so head over to those places Leave us five stars. Tell us why you like us. We'll also read them on our next Shooting the Flames. We just need one or two more reviews, plus 20 or 30, to get to that point. So please, go on mass and do that. That's right. <laughs> Chris, I think it's time for us to head off and make a covenant. And I don't even know what that word means, actually. I feel like it's something... We should have probably covered that. <laughs> we covered what Prometheus meant. I think it's time for us to go off and look up the word covenant and maybe talk about it on Shooting the Flames and have some sweet sweet dreams. I think it means a contract between the gods and humans, right? Covenant? Yeah. Or, I mean, I think you can have a covenant between, like, two people. Like the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. Another biblical reference? Mm -hmm. Yawn. (laughs) (laughs) Is that yawn like, or yawn like over there? I don't know. God, it's such ribs at this point. It's so old. (laughs) Ribs.